Okay, so I mean, um, I think the best way to run any kind of a shear, instead of me just talking and then Yaakov giving me some ideas about what we should talk about, but that's like his idea. But um, how about we have a discussion? What should we discuss? Do you know how amazing it is? When you give a parsha shear, you will always, but always discover that whatever issue you want to deal with is always being dealt with by the parsha. Because that's how Hashem designed the parsha. That it's always living with the times. Meaning, it's always got to do with what's going on in that time. And when you start looking at yourself and you realize what issues you need and what's going through your life, you suddenly discover that the parsha, um, amazingly enough, um, deals with that. So if I was asked the question, what should we talk about? Assuming it's an open forum and nobody's listening and, you know, that's real. What would be the answer to that question? By comparison, I did this in, I just want to tell you, I teach in, um, in seminary for the last 20 years. Yep, I have 120 students in seminary. Where? Base Rivka. And, um, well, day one, we came in, and I asked them, oh, so they, you know, they gave me, I got like a stack of 120 papers of, um, of what to talk about. Fascinating stuff. I teach in Beis Yaakov and did the same thing, and it was amazing. What you find is that when people grow older, all the questions disappear. And the main reason is life. Well, Just the question is still there. Stop asking it. Right. These parishes you have today, such fun. I know. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, you're, they say, <laughs> look at the menorah for a half hour. You know, no distractions. Okay. We can stare at candles for a half hour. It's very nice. But like, what's it supposed to do for us? So what's the deeper meaning and significance of Hanukkah? Is that phrase telling us the uh, neighbors? About the neighbors of Salem? No. Yeah. It's a phrase, though. The story of the candles. Um, like, why is it? Why is that the question? What's um, why is that the question? Because I always find that we normally hear like good, like things after the fact. Like, it's on Yom Kippur. You should have davened or thought about, and it's like, oh, if I would know before Yom Kippur, that would be nice. Or it's like it's always after after the fact or in the middle. So now it's before Hanukkah. So. So the question basically is: Mitzvahs have to have some kind of depth, and you're saying, what's the, what's the depth? What's behind the mitzvah? So it's just a matter of how not to keep the mitzvah by rote, right? But can I ask you a question? What would life look like in your life? Meaning, what light do you want to get to? What is light? When Hashem created the world on day one of creation, right? What did He create? Like what? Or? What? It's like when you see a sunset or you see a sunrise, it's a beauty, it's, it's inspiring. Right. But is that what light is? Because look, on day one of creation, Hashem made light. But it wasn't the sunlight. Because the sunlight was made on day four. Right? So there's no sun and no moon. But there's light. So what's light? What did Hashem make? On the first day of creation, the first thing Hashem made was light. What's the difference between day four when He actually made the light, like He made the sun and the moon? What? Yeah. Yeah, so what, what does it mean, ability for light? That it was there, just Hashem didn't see it in the world. Who do you hold it for? It says Hashem made the light and then he concealed the light and he hid it for Tzadikim. And who's Tzadikim? 
Every Jew has an element of tzaddik in him. So, it's fascinating. What did Hashem create on day one of creation? It's not physical light. Physical light? Like that? That's more day four. The creation of day one is... Light that's hidden? What does that mean? Right. So before that there was nothing, then there was a dichotomy of good and bad, light and darkness, and the opportunity for further creation. So there was darkness before, and then. What are you saying? There was darkness before, and then he allows you the possibility of. of, Yeah. Of what? Of of opposites, of of two things at the same time. Right. What are those two things? So how do you define light then? Good and bad. Why is light bad? No. Darkness is bad. Right, the good. What's good? Just Just put some volume on. (laughs) 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 When the shampoo is present, it's real. How long ago did Hashem create the world? You're asking years? Five, seven, eight, three. Five, seven, eight, three. What? <laughs> yeah. But every day in Shachris, what do we say? Yeah. How long ago was the world created? Well, the first time? 5,700 years ago, right. But how old is the world? How long ago was it created? The answer is? Now. It's created every single moment. And when it gets created, the first order of the day is to bring in light. So what's light? Right? The first thing you do when you create is create light. Now Hashem creates the world every single moment. So there's this process of creation, and step one of creation is to create light. Clarity. Exactly. What does clarity look like? Exactly. What's the biggest problem, you would say, that we face, we humans, we Jews face nowadays? The lack of clarity. Right, why? We don't bring light into our lives as much anymore. Hmm? What? It creates what Joey says, what Joey Rosenthal says, anxiety. Right. Well, it's, not, it's anxiety with the whole mishpacha. Right, anxiety, and then you can add some... Uh, a dose of depression and right. feel of, uh, you know, all that good stuff. It's called um, darkness, right? You, you actually feel darkness, right? What's the biggest problem we have? It's um, when you get into the space and like you feel alone. It's loneliness. It's um, abandonment. You can go through anything if you know, like, why, if you have a, a reason for it, if you're in the light, but we sit in the darkness, it's like a dark space to be in, to, to be detached. So it's exactly like you say, when Hashem makes the world, first, first it was dark, and then it became light. What's light? Look at people's faces around you all the time, and you'll see what it means to be dark and light. Isn't it true? You'll see it on people's faces. When a person is in a gloomy mode, the face... Not bad, especially at that. It's like a, a, a feeling of, of darkness, a feeling of... It's like it's a sad reality. And when a person is in a space of, of simcha, it's incredible. Like the face just shines and lights up. Isn't that true? It says, was one of the, um, of the sages, and he, his face lights up 
when he hears a brand new um, Tesefta, he learned a Chiddush, and his face just like lights up. So imagine if you could live in the light. When Hashem created the world, the first thing he created was light. And then what did he do with the light? What? He hid it. So it's there for you, but Tzadikim is you. Right? But, what? You have to find it. How do you find light? What? Right. But let's get practical. How do you find light? So you're saying you have to stare at the Hanukkah candles and look at the light and find the light. How do you find the light? Of course, Amuna. So, how do you have Amuna? What does that mean? Right? What does it mean to have Amuna? How do you get to a state of having Amuna? How do you bring light? What are, what are when you don't? What happens then? Right? So, it's a problem. It's about expressing your beauty. Right? So, like, you know, when, when Jacob got married, so he found um, a wife. What does it say about her, about Rachel? What's the expression about Rachel? What? You fast her, you fast marry. She was beautiful in two ways. Beauty is expressed in two ways. One is you fast toyar, which is a beautiful description. What? Yeah, I'm thinking picture. But yeah. yeah, and the other one is you fast marry. Beautiful looking. So what's the difference between the two? The difference is, and it's fascinating how when it speaks about her son, Yosef, it's the same thing. He was Yefei Toyar Vifei Mare. Now, Torah is not, well, only describing, like, beauty. It's describing beauty. How do you become beautiful? Because... Um, a Rachel is actually, what does a Rachel mean? You know what a Rachel means? What? A goat, a sheep, yeah. So who's known as the sheep? We are. People of Israel are known as the sheep. We are Hashem's sheep. So a Rachel is actually, she gets married to Yaakov, and Rachel has to be your fast, your fast mare. That means we have to be your fast, your fast mare. So there's two elements to beauty described in Hasidic works. One is, beauty is, when your limbs are aligned in the correct places. So if you have one foot that's longer than the other one, or one eye is a little bit, you know, there's all these halachas of what's considered a blemish, it doesn't look good, because the, the, the uh, limbs have to be correctly aligned. That's part one. Even after the limbs are all correctly aligned, there's another part to beauty. And that is, it's indescribable. It's the ability to shine. It's when your face just shines. So, what does it take to have your face shine? What does it take to make your face illuminated? Now, we have limbs. So the limbs, obviously, the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth, those limbs, but there's other limbs also. Limbs are your emotions. So they are, each one is like a limb. And we're sometimes lopsided. Like, um, Avram was a bit lopsided. Because he was all chesed. And so he was kindness, so he produced 50% of his of his children went off Yishmael Yitzchak was Gvura he was the other way and it was amazing except that well he's got 50% off also right Esau so Yaakov wants to be straight so Yaakov goes to look for Arachel who's the Afasta who's got that beauty in her and what's the beauty the beauty is not to be lopsided in your emotions so how do you not be lopsided in your emotions it means right when you have um when you have a feeling that leads you left or right, to come back to it with emuna. So let's try it out, right? Let's say you're feeling a lopsided feeling like anxiety. How do you overcome anxiety? If you're feeling anxiety, what do you do? Any suggestions? Yeah. Drink. <laughs> What's one way? Bring it back with logic. With logic? Yeah. Have you ever won an argument against a feeling with logic? Seriously? You said, but why should you feel this? It doesn't make sense. Why, why are you... What? It's branding. How do you ground it? See what you could do. Right. 
music, walking, something that feels tangible. Anxiety is all, it's all up there. It's not something that's tangible. It's so grounding is you have to get yourself back. So let's go. If I'm feeling an anxiety in my heart, that's something. What should I do? What? <laughs> I'd say restart. You? Restart. Stop what you're it's, doing. Yeah. It's a, you have to just start from new. You have to grip. Exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. What do you say? You say what? Distract yourself. I don't know. I don't know how to distract when I'm in the middle of like a real anxiety. I don't know how to distract. I'm, I'm feeling anxious. So what should, what should I do? What? Great. How about if you're depressed? <laughs> if you're very depressed. And it's like, oh, man, and like everything's gone wrong and whatever. And you're like, come on. Smile. What? Smile. Right? Push yourself. Or... You what? How? How do you, what do you counteract? Okay, so I'm feeling down. Right, like yoga. Breathing. Okay. No, I'm not disagreeing with this. I'll just give you an, 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 an maybe another insight, another way of looking at it. That, yeah. The cash is something else. Yes which is going to be a Muna. But you can never attach yourself to something else until you're clear on where you are. So then you'll be lopsided. So if you have an emotion that's like a limb, what you want to do is first get clear on what that emotion is. But here's the key. You're never, ever anxious. You've never been anxious in your life, if you really look at it. You've never felt depressed in your life. Take two, sorry. You've never been depressed in your life. Ever. You, it's the terminology that you use. When you say, I'm depressed, that's not true. I'm anxious because I'm worried what's going to happen with this and this thing or whatever. That's fake. It's a midah, right? It's an emotion. So your choice of words should be, I'm feeling anxious. I am feeling depressed. As opposed to, I am depressed. You see the difference? <laughs> difference is, when it's a feeling, so I put the feeling out there, I'm feeling this feeling, then there's me. So there's I, and there's the feeling. So I am feeling anxious. So if I'm feeling anxious, what should I do? Feel it. The problem is that you're fighting the anxiety, right? Don't we fight it? We try to say, let's, let's think about something else. Let's, you know, um, distract myself. Let's something else, and then it doesn't go away. What would happen if you actually had a muna? So it means, you walk right into it. You say, okay, I'm feeling anxiety right now. And you let yourself feel the anxiety. And you take away every reason why you might feel, be feeling anxiety. You just feel it. And you don't judge it. You just sit and feel it. Okay? Feeling anxious. You ever see how two-year-olds get calmed down? My first experience with, as, a, as a father years ago was an amazing moment. There was this little two-year-old of mine who was thumping on the floor and and like and I got a lot of siblings I thought I knew how to handle this but I realized when you're a sibling the way you handle it is you when you're a male sibling the way you handle it is you just like ciao you know I'm out of here when you're the father like you can't do that so I'm the father I'm sitting with this kid and I don't know what to do and the kid is just thumping and thumping and thumping away and I started to I started to offer my threats. And the threat goes, I'm counting to three. For the count of three, if you don't keep quiet, I'm going to give you a patch. Not allowed to give you a patch, of course, because can't nowadays do that. But I'm going to threaten you with a patch. So now it's okay. Count to one, two. Like, oh my gosh, three is just one away. Now what do we do? Two and a quarter. Two and a half. Two and... Six, you know, sixteenths. <laughs> and you're working your way up and it doesn't work. It was just, went on for a long time. And I'm offering candies and nothing is working. I discovered the most amazing thing. And my wife walked in about two hours later. 
She solved the problem. You know how she solved the problem? She, <laughs> it was amazing. She walked in, she picked the baby up, said, here, lay Kathy Doh, your head down. And the baby put the head down and took a few seconds and it was fast asleep. With a big hug, done. Problem solved. Guess what? Adults are no different to children. They're just a little older and no one can hug them. They don't allow hugs. But imagine you could embrace yourself the same way. So how do you get that embrace? Very simple. Don't walk away from it. Walk right into the tension. Okay. So you're feeling anxiety. So feel it. What's wrong? And then, here's how you, what you were saying before about using your mind afterwards, right? You bring your mind in and your mind comes in and says, okay, Hashem is with me. So, you feel Hashem's presence because you have a Muna, you know you have a Muna, so why can't you activate the Amuna? Hashem's not telling you, he's not, he's not answering anything, he's just, Hashem is with me, I'm anxious, and Hashem is right here. You see what just happens there? That's Yefei Toyar, Yefei Mare. You identify clearly your feelings, you crystallize what you are, you know that, that feeling goes there, that feeling goes there, and then the feelings are clear, now you introduce a power from above called emuna. What's the power of emuna? It's very in, it's not, it's not, it's an intangible. You can't define what it is. But it's like, now you feel Hashem's presence with you. Isn't it true that the most difficult thing to feel today is simcha? Why is it so difficult to be happy? Is it? Would you agree? Yeah? Why? Why can we just not be happy? Why are little children just happy? Like, life's amazing. You see a kid, the face shines, the face lights up. Best therapy today to, uh, to, to, uh, for kids who are, you know, in, in whatever difficult uh, lives is to have one or two, either a puppy or a little baby. Because you take a teenager and no one, a puppy just smiles at you or a, a teenager and then sees a baby. Unbelievable, because it's real. Adults? If they're happy, it's like, why are you so happy today? <laughs> why is it tough to be happy? Right? You were saying? Too busy trying to control life. And it's too complicated to control nowadays. Let's face it. When you lived in the shtetl, it was much easier to um, control life. How did you control life in the shtetl? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that? What was it to do in the shtetl? It was like your few friends you had. This, that's life. That's where you are. That's, you don't know any better. You don't know anything more. So it's done. It's over. Nowadays, there's so much going on distracting you that everything's saying to you, if you get this, you'll be happy. If you get that, you'll be happy. And this and that and whatever. And then, then you'll get the space of happiness. So what, where are you now? All down. Right? So how do you become to a space of happiness? There's a must-read book. You ever read the book of Sholmag Harabashkin, The Inside Story? My what? My husband just read it. <laughs> 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 Did he tell you about it? Yeah. It's unbelievable. I was on the plane a few weeks ago, and, you know, I had this, it was like this incredible, there was like an eight-hour zone in the middle of a day, and the Wi-Fi wasn't working, which was such a bracha. I was like, wow. In the middle of a day, like the middle of a Wednesday, and it's okay. So I brought with me this book, and I started to read, and I realized reading is very pleasurable. You know, when there's nothing else to do, it's like sit over there and just read. So I started reading the book, and then I was getting too depressed by it. It was just, everything was going wrong at the beginning. So I figured, let me take this book. I know the end. Let me skip to the end. So I said, let me read the last book. That's, that's the fun part. Then I'll skip to the last chapter. And I discovered something. Everybody knows the end of the book, right? Do you know where you were when Shalmar Khrobashkin was freed? Do you remember? It was a big event. Hanukkah. What? Hanukkah. Right. Zeiss Hanukkah, right at the end. Yeah. So anyway, I went to read 
to read the thing. There was something, a, a fascinating detail that I didn't know before. So he was released on Bay's Tavis in the afternoon, right? The second of Tavis, as Hanukkah was finishing, on Zeus Hanukkah. It says, when was the worst day in all the eight and a half years of prison? The worst day was Aleph Tavis, the day before. Did you know that part? And he described what happened. Then I went to read the whole book afterwards, and now I finished it, and now I've got the whole story. But basically, what happened was, um, well, first of all, he was sentenced to 27 years, which was an insane judge's bad day. Well, she's actually a judge who does that all the time. So she sentenced him to 27 years, to more than even the prosecution asked for. Now he describes how he says, you understand, I knew, I had such a bitachin, I knew that Hashem was going to save me, that this wasn't going to happen. And not only didn't happen, but he doesn't even have a chance to take a bite to his family. Like, he got the, the thing, and then she was concerned about that, just don't say the word Jewish, right? But she said, because you have a law of return which allows you to run away to Israel and get a passport over there, so if I give you bail, you're going to run away to Israel. No anti-Semitism, of course. Um, and so, no bail. So basically, he can't say goodbye to his family. He gets yanked out of the courtroom, straight into prison. And it was harsh. <laughs> and then, one thing leads to another. And, um, and he gets denied, and he gets, you know, denied bail. The, he loses the next court case. And one after another, everything goes from bad to worse, to worse, to worse, to worse. And he's describing how they found, they realized that, you know, everybody, I, I always do the story that he did something wrong, right? He just didn't, he wasn't supposed to sit so long. That was the problem. You read what, he, what actually happened, and you realize, the poor guy didn't do anything wrong. Nothing. He just had very powerful forces against him. Like, if you're trying to bring Kashrus and, uh, you know, the conservative movement gets upset with you because they want to make a hasher of uh, cruelty to animals, you don't agree with that. Peter gets upset with you, the union gets upset, etc. And you're Jewish, a Hasidic Jew living in Iowa, it doesn't look too good. So they made a whole story around him. Immigration laws and uh, um, none of which was just nothing. It's just making everything up. And then came this whole thing that, that he stole $27 million from the bank. What they don't tell you is that the reason why he stole the money from the bank was because the company wasn't allowed to sell. Had the company been allowed to sell, it was worth $100 million. But the bank, the FBI blocked the, um, the company from selling. So basically, the FBI caused the bank to lose $27 million and then blamed it on him and put it in. So anyway, he's applying for appeals one after another. He's got every attorney general in the United States, past attorney general, agreeing with him. He's got every district attorney from every place, prosecution. It was an incredible campaign. And every time it goes right back to the first judge. And she, who had judged it herself, says, no, nope. motion denied. So they go to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court denies it. They go to the, it's called motion 2855. They have to collect a lot of money and they get everything ready. And this was the Eighth, eighth Circuit appeal. And it was crystal clear. It's like 100%. There was no shadow of a doubt. I spoke to the lawyers, met them. Okay, done. At this point, we can un over, you know, overturn this conviction. And Aleph Tavis, he's out wake up in the morning. And I'm saying hello. And he says, uh, it's Hanukkah, it's seventh day of Hanukkah. So I'm saying the words, mean, I made, in, in my cell, he says, no meaning that day. And he's working on himself the whole time to be in state of Simcha. As he says the word, the warden the, the comes over to him, he says, uh, you, you gotta, you're, you're being summoned to the office. So he's like, okay, finishes Hallel and takes off his phone and goes to the warden. Meets him over there in the office and uh, legal mail. Legal mail, he opens it. He says, I open the mail, it says, United States of America versus Shalom Rabashkin. Like, wow, what a fair fight. United States of America versus little me. And the United States of America comes in and he opens it up and it says, there's a one-liner. And he opens it up and says, like, it's very strange because for all these years in prison, never once was there a piece of mail that I got that from an official source from the government that I didn't get before a warning from my lawyers. So about four days before, that's how long it takes for mail to come in, the lawyers would call me up to expect the following piece of mail and you know, and I, I'm, 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 I know to expect it. This one, I open it up. It says, uh, motion for appeal denied. And, um, you know, 
conviction upheld. One and a half lines, done. And he said, I wonder why the lawyers call me? And then I realized, what happened? Because every other time when they called, it was, okay, and we'll try this avenue or that avenue or this angle or that angle. That one-liner in that letter basically said, you are going to sit in that cell for the next 18 years of your life. And we've thrown the key out. There's nothing more to talk to any lawyer ever because it's done. And he says, I've watched prisoners sit in this, receive that kind of news. And Kozman, so long as a prisoner has a feeling that he's going to get out, he's like, he's working on himself and he feels it. Okay, but, 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 but one day something can happen, I can get out. And here I am. And this is it. So I've watched other people. What do they do when that happens? As they, they, get, they run into bed, they start screaming and shouting on top of their lungs and there's no one to talk to because you're just in a cell. You can scream as much as you want. And they just scream at the injustice and the travesty that was done to them. And they, they go to the shrink, you know, to the psychiatrist they have over there and they try to find any kind of pill they can to drown out their sorrow and how unfair the world is. And it doesn't help. They fall into a depression and they just wither away into nothingness and you see like a, a skeleton of a person left. And he's like, that's why my lawyers didn't call me because they were worried that they would do the same thing to me. He says, my lawyers were wrong. So I get this message and I'm like, okay, wow. This is it. There's no more hope. Get it? There's no more hope. There's nothing more that can be done naturally. So I'm getting this message, I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, Shire Bitochen, which you used to learn all the time, says that Bitochen means that you have no one to rely on but Hashem. You're in a pit, and there's no one to rely on but Hashem. And he says, for the first time in my life, I feel like, wow, it's just me and Hashem. Up until now, I was pretending to have Bitochen to have trust in Hashem and it wasn't trust in Hashem. It was really just like, okay, but we can still try. This. And even much as I was saying that, no, I'm trusting in Hashem, I wasn't trusting in Hashem. This is the first time when there's nothing more that can be done. It's done. It's over. It's finished. And he says, I felt an absolute clarity, an absolute crystal clarity that I was with Hashem and I'm totally in Hashem's hands and I know Hashem is being good to me now and therefore whatever's happening now is amazing and awesome and I know that in Hashem's hands tomorrow's going to be good too. And he's like, I'm preparing myself because I'm realizing that, you know, you have Yaakov fights with an angel. Have you ever fought with an angel? You fight him all the time. Little guy comes into your head and he starts screaming, what can we think negatively today? negative thinking in your head that's you and the angel and Yaakov fought the angel all night long so long as you're at night like on your own and you feel abandoned the little angel starts screaming when he puts inside then he has every negative thought to put inside your head you know what it's like to be beat up all the time all night long yep most of us do know what it's like where the little guy inside you just beats you up let's just think negatively and um, he's like I'm expecting it tonight when they close the cell door and I'm by myself it's going to happen and sure enough, that night, that guy comes over to me and he says like, whoa, <laughs> he's fighting, 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 fighting. And, um, and I was ready for him. I was ready. And he says, I walk out with nothing short of euphoria. You see what the light that Hashem created in creation is? Hashem saw the light was good. And what did he do with it? Gonzo, he hid it. Where did he hide it? He hid it so that people who feel abandoned, disconnected from Hashem, know that there's light inside them. And that light is you, inside you. It's when the world around you is dark and you have a crystal clarity. It's not bitochen. It's bitochen. I mean, it's not emuna. It's emuna applied. It's bringing down the abstract. And he says, so, so what I did was I like, took this thing and I just brought it down and felt this absolute clarity. And he describes, not 24 hours passed by. So the next day, he goes in and he's writing his mail, sending out, you know, there's some mail to some guy in London, 
who writes to him, I'm so sorry that, you know, that um, Hanukkah is over by me, the guys in London, says, he wrote him an email, it's over by me in London, and you weren't released, and he's, you know, when he writes back to the guy, he says, look, it was like one o'clock in the afternoon, by me it's not over yet, and uh, I fully trust in Hashem that on Hanukkah I'll still be released, and, you know, and it's like, you look at him and you say like, yeah, living in la-la land, you know, these people who have absolutely no uh, concept of reality. And then there's some kid he wrote, he wrote to in, in yeshiva, he writes to the guy also some message of hope. And he says, I pressed send and I put, posted the mail. Usually it's posted later on. And then I go into my room. And it's a glorious scene where he's like, you know, there's a lockup, lockdown in the middle of the day, 2.30 to 3.30. He says, I sit down, I, I want to I eat a meal. Because if you eat a meal, then you can extend Zoe's Hanukkah you can extend Hanukkah into the night. So he says it's like 3 o'clock, sitting down to a meal, if I can bench at 6 o'clock, so now I can have a meal, and now Hanukkah can be extended. And then um, I see the footsteps coming straight to my, my cell. And I'm like, that's, that's strange, because I know what footsteps go, they open up each cell in order, it's all the same thing. Come to my cell, says the warden comes in, and he says, um, okay, Rabashkin, get up. You're coming with me. He says, where are we going? Are we going home? Always. <laughs> We're going home. Then he's like, get out. The guy tells him, okay, go down there, meet that guy over there, and go, you'll take him to the office. You go into the office. There's not anything, right? Nothing. And, um, and then he's like, one second, one second, one second. Two places I'm going. Either home or solitary confinement. I'm not sure what I did wrong. They'll figure out something. So I need my talisman film regardless. So he says, dashes back to cell 307, comes in, picks up Talos and Filin, and, you know, has it with him. Shara B'tochen, get a safer inside there. Puts it inside, that's all he's got. Talos and Filin, Shara B'tochen. And he marches down, goes and meets the other guy, and they take him to the office, and he says, you got to see the scene. He says, I felt like, like the lady warden comes in, together with um, the lieutenant, and they're sitting over there, and they march him in, and he says, the room is quiet, nobody's talking. For 60 seconds, like, absolute silence. He says, I realize something big is happening over here. I'm not sure what. And then um, she tells him, she says, uh, she started, she says, Mr. Rubashkin. And he said, I heard the word Mr. Like, I hadn't been called Mr. in a decade. Mr. is a sign of importance. First time I heard the word Mr. And they say, Mr. Rubashkin, um, the President of the United States has just issued a um, clemency and you're free to go and not only did he issue it but we got a special call from the White House asking us to, not to wait for the actual letter to come through but he wants you to leave now so we got this call and he's asking you to, um, to go out now and he says so he walks out of the of this thing and this most gorgeous just like walk out and he says like Mitzrayim what happened Mitzrayim the moment the moment of, of redemption came you just okay so you don't get blocked for one second and you walk out and he walks out and just like they say who's picking you up he says my wife calls the wife you know the lawyer called the wife comes she comes over the 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 seamlessness which had happened she she was driving she was in in Brooklyn she was driving up to her home in Muncie because they lived nearby to be near, nearby the place and she didn't have to go home because she had his his kapata and his clothing she had it ready in the trunk of the car for eight and a half years because <laughs> it was always there it was ready to go she said always i heard her speak before you know if you ever heard this thing like i watched these things as they were happening meaning the emails while they were going on and like yeah she said i'm like oh my gosh and then she just drove over an extra hour took her she comes in gives him the stuff, he's described the first time he put on real clothing, and got out. Now, take a look at that story, right? And I'm going to analyze that. What would have happened if he would have felt that feeling five years earlier, one year earlier? He says about himself, right? That there is a feeling of simcha. You know what simcha is? Joy? It's a space where you let go and you start realizing, I can't do anything, actually. There's nothing I can do in my life 
even though like the problem is it looks it looks like we're doing things right it looks like we're making money we're uh, raising kids we're helping we're doing I, I've, I'm so busy I'm so busy I haven't got a moment to breathe I've got to do this I've got to that, got to that, got to that, that and all those got to do have to do what they do is they distract your attention away from being centered and they pull you somewhere else and so you're never able to experience yourself and where you are and that's the light that disappeared how do you find the light? you become a rochel and what's a rochel mean? The Pasuk says, that a Rachel is, she's, she's mute before those who shear the wool as they cut the wool. And that's what a Yid does. A Jew is a Rachel. What does that mean? You have a relationship with Hashem. And what's your relationship with Hashem? Here's the real secret. You don't need to do anything at all. Nothing. You just have Hashem in your life. And if you're just like a little child, just like feel... Hashem is embracing me. Hashem just loves me. And I don't need to do anything. And you say, yeah, but you do. It's true you do. It's what's called hishtadlus. Hashem wants you to go do things and pretend as if you're like moving something forward, right? You're like doing this, like moving a piece. And yeah, you got to do it. But you don't give it any, any power. Everybody who's found the shidduch, right, knows one of the basic, basic tenets of, of finding a shidduch is that finding the shidduch has nothing to do with anything you do. Isn't that true? You can talk to Shadchanim, and then when the shidduch happens, every shidduch that happens, happens from something else that occurred. Meaning, the, the person, that, somehow that person spoke to that person, and then that worked. It's never got anything to do with what you do. When you make money, how does it come about? It's called hesechadas. It's when your das is removed from the picture. When you're not involved, that's when it happens. But for some reason, we humans thrash about like crazy mishuganas, running about trying to find where is the light. Ever seen a, um, you know, when, when you're on a plane, before they used to have the signal, and, you, and you, put your, you leave your phone on, right? And the phone's trying to find a signal. But there's no signal. So what happens to the phone? The battery dies very quickly. Because he's looking for a signal. He's looking, where is it? Where is it? That's what causes humans to be in the darkness. What's the darkness? The darkness is trying to control the situation. So the power of a Jew is, it's called letting go. It's known as bittel. Bittel means to feel a relationship with Hashem. That's how you become a yefei mare. Beautiful. What's beauty? It's not describable. It's when your face is shining. You see it. You, you know it when you see it. You just see someone's face. They're shining. And you see, wow, this person, I want to be drawn to them. B- babies have that face. I was once, we did Tashlech, so we're going to, in Brooklyn, to Avenue U. It's about a half hour walk. So I took a, we took the whole family, and we're going to do Tashlech, and we, we look on the way. So uh, we all go together, and then my little baby, the, you know, she was one at the time, she, um, she gets into the carriage. And as she gets into the carriage, what does she do? It's a, you know, she falls asleep. It's a half hour walk. It took us probably almost an hour to get there because we're blowing straight for everyone on the way on the Rosh Hashanah. And, you know, you know um, then she goes to sleep. Now, I don't know, Five Towns maybe not so much better than Brooklyn. But Brooklyn, the, the view from my house is just gorgeous, magnificent. You know, you look out the window and you see, like, the neighbor's house and you know, more concrete. It's just, it's so gorgeous, you know. And um, so she woke up, in, she, she went to sleep in Brooklyn. And we walk, 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 and it's an hour later, she wakes up. As we arrived by the bay on Avenue U, we got out and we were in the ocean, in Florida. Florida in Brooklyn. And she opens up her eyes and she's in the carriage and she looks around, she sees the whole family there. And there's air, it's open, and it's the ocean. And the kid just jumped up, a little, a little baby. She jumped up, she looks around, and you, you want to see what a face shining is? That's what a shining face was. I mean, it was like, wow, I woke up, I was so claustrophobic, and now I went to sleep claustrophobic, and now I wake up, and it's stunning. And I looked at her, and I was like, you know what I wanted to do? Go to Tashlich again. 
Because that face is so compelling, like I want it again. It's an unbelievable thing to see. Why is it that when we turn adult, we lose our face of shining blue? We become dark. It's because we think our brains tell us that, oh, and you know what? You are able, if you do this, you'll score more and you'll be able to do more. And it's not true. Nothing could be further from the truth. Your brain is, your brain's lying to you. What's your brain telling you? Your brain essentially is telling you that if you go there, you'll find some happiness and something. Here's the story. You want to look, you're asking about the Hanukkah candle, right? You want to look at the light? Train yourself to look at the light. What's the Hanukkah story? There was a bunch of Jews who had absolutely no chance and there was no way to survive. And they were like, okay, Hashem, gotta do your ishtadlus, so we're gonna do our part and pretend like we're moving pieces. And they went and did their part. And um, they created light, the light of Hanukkah. I, I really think the biggest challenge we face nowadays is exactly that, the darkness. It's a feeling of overwhelming darkness and it's the source of all mental health problems, all the issues that happen are because you're in the darkness. Why you're in the darkness? Because you're trying to control the situation. And it's not that you need, don't need to do anything, you need to do a lot of stuff. But every time you walk into that space, you say, okay, Hashem, I feel anxiety. When you feel anxiety, you know what, what that's about? It's amazing. Feeling anxiety is great. You know why? Because have you ever tried lighting oil? Can't light oil. What do you have to have to light? A wick. You put a wick in the oil and then the wick can light. So when you have resistance, resistance is how you light a candle. That's exactly what you need. So if everything's amazing in life, then it's great. Then who needs you? <laughs> when things go wrong in life and you feel like depressed and anxious, Nothing's gone wrong. It's actually going super right. Going amazing. What you want to do is grab hold of the situation. Realize, I'm so anxious. You are not. I am feeling anxious. And a feeling, I, right? I, separate yourself from the problem. I am not anxious. I'm feeling anxiety right now. Okay? Try this out. When anxiety comes away, let yourself feel it. And don't judge, I'm feeling it because of this, because of that. Irrelevant. The because is irrelevant. The point is you're feeling anxiety. And then allow yourself to do what Rubashkin succeeded in doing in the last day, where he was able to get to a euphoria and say, I'm so excited because I'm not in control. Because Hashem is in control. And Hashem is right here. And I don't have a clue how Hashem is going to do this. And I don't need to know. I'm just going to walk into a space of feeling gratitude, feeling Hashem's presence in my life. I'm going to light up my life. That's called or. Or is the gematria, the numerical value of Roz. Roz is a secret. Who taught my children the secret? What's the secret? The secret is that inside you is God. That's where He is. And so you don't need to solve problems over there. Problems are never solved over there. Problems are solved over here. It's a basic Jewish secret. You don't solve anything. And if I do this and I do that and I said, then that's going to happen. You don't. You say, Hashem, I'm feeling anxiety. Hashem, I know you're with me. Feel Hashem's space over here inside you. Light up your life with that aura. That's the secret. Feel Hashem's presence. And what you'll see is, and afterwards, go do what you're going to do, what you were going to do before, but don't do it with an anxiety. Just do what you want to do. And you light up your life. So the answer to the question, how do you celebrate Hanukkah? is by looking at the candles, by looking at the lights. And there's eight of them, because nature is seven, and eight is one above nature. And so, what's the best miracle Hashem could ever do? If Hashem did a Kriyas Yamsuf, what would happen then? You'd be like, okay, okay, the sea split, so what? But if Hashem can make me a happy person, genuinely happy, and Hashem can get rid of my issues and my anxieties and my worries and my things and make me into a, like, a, a, 
a connected person put me in the light? Wouldn't that be a greater miracle? That's what Hanukkah is about. Nothing happened on Hanukkah. There was no miracle. Except that if you pay attention, you're like, OMG. Hashem is just there. Every, it's amazing, just every step of the way. If you start looking at your life, you'll see that's exactly what's happening in your life. But stop resisting it. Your life is the greatest story ever. And when you look at the Hanukkah candles, you look into the light, and you see the or. That's the or which Hashem put in the beginning of creation. And Hanukkah is one of those young Yom that outlasts, right? Even when the Shekh comes, we'll still have it. And you look at the light of the Hanukkah candles, and you say, wow, nature is divine. Nature is godly. That's not a theory. That's real. But it calls each one of us to, to, to turn on the light in our life. Turn on the light means find the darkness. Darkness is not darkness. It's a wick. Feel the darkness. Bring it down. Say, okay, I'm, I'm anxiety now. This is anxiety feeling. This is depression. I'm feeling this now. And then just try it in your mind. It takes time, by the way. And it's hard work. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> this is not easy. But it's much harder the alternative to be living in anxiety. Feel anxiety, Hashem's with me. Bring it down. And watch the light go on. You just get happy. And then light, the whole world gets lit up. That's why. When you light the candles, it says, you light them, and you stand there, and you leave the candles on. Ad de kalia rigla de tarmudai. Until the people outside get it. In other words, the whole world gets it. Because when you see a person is in the light, it's irresistible. It's so powerful. It's so incredible. It's so unreal. Everybody is drawn to you. People are repelled by darkness and are compelled and are drawn to light. If you put yourself in the light, the whole darkness outside disappears. So, um, yeah, we got our work cut out for us to find light from creation in our lives. Shem should help.